Welcome to Table Lore. Table Lore is a storytelling podcast designed to be continued by you. Each episode focuses on new locations, characters, and spooks, which can be used for creative projects or tabletop role-playing games such as Monster of the Week or One-Shot D&D campaigns. Season 1 is a tour across the United States, and a D100 role determines where we're going next. I'm your co-host, Megan. And I'm your other co-host, Cass. Before we begin, remember that Table Lore is a fictional storytelling podcast, and while sometimes we will explore real legends, nothing we say should be treated as fact. This week, we're going to Kansas. Megan, we're going to one of our most favorite states today. I know, I'm so excited. I wish we were really going. Yeah, me too. Well, we might go next summer for four years. Potentially, we may be moving to the state next year. Yeah, for Megan's PhD program, so we'll see. The Sunflower State. Isn't that so charming? Yeah, we had no idea Kansas was the Sunflower State. We didn't know it was called the Sunflower State before we got there, but it's so charming and endearing. We love it. Yeah, we drove there this last summer and were absolutely charmed and delighted by Lawrence, Kansas specifically, but the entirety of Kansas just had a little bit of a charm to it. Yeah, and we... Which was was very surprising. We did not expect to enjoy kansas the way that we did what did you love about kansas well i loved um the sunflower fields that we drove past i loved how it was so green and just looked so lush and then even some like gentle hills which were very lovely um but mostly you know what i loved about kansas what um, the University of Kansas mascot, but the nineteen twelve version. Please describe what you're talking about. Well, the University of Kansas has a mascot. It's called a Jayhawk, which is not a real animal. They just made this creature up. It's like a bird. And they've had several renditions of this mascot, but the first one in nineteen twelve is just this charming blue bird with like a big yellow beak and just the longest legs you ever saw and then like shoes on and I did fall in love with her and she is special to me she is quite the stunner (laughs) (laughs) I would say so yeah do you remember our Airbnb in the street that it was on yeah we stayed in this old kind of neighborhood in Lawrence just these giant old growth trees just lining the streets. Lots of lush greenery, landscape. The houses were also so charming. They were built probably like 70s, 80s, but they were just perfect. It was it was magical. And that's not an exaggeration. No, it, no it's certainly not. And every single place that we ate, like there was not... A mediocre restaurant in Kansas. Yeah, we had 
just an incredible time walking around Mass Ave, which is like the main street area and there's a bunch of restaurants and stores and not just one but two bookstores that were both excellent which won huge brownie points on my end yeah and that really cool antique shop where we Mm. found those vintage star wars toys yeah and they had a ton of nancy drew books too which was very exciting to find yeah so we're not the first people to be enchanted by kansas um can i share with you some things about kansas i found out yeah go for it well i think first we all know i think a lot of people's introduction to kansas is the wonderful wizard of oz right Mm -hmm. and the famous line that dorothy says of we're not in kansas anymore toto Mm -hmm. so there's that and then one of my favorite children's authors, Laura Ingalls Wilder, she and her family lived in Kansas for a little bit. And then Superman in the Superman fiction, his hometown of Smallville is in Kansas. Wait, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's really cool. Did you find any interesting lore in your research? Um, I found a couple things. And one of them... Um, sort of helped inspire us for this episode. So we'll talk about that at the end. But another thing about Kansas is there's a lot of military there. Didn't your grandpa? Yeah, my dad was actually born in Kansas on a military base there when my grandpa was in the military. Yeah, so I guess there's a really big um, cemetery there, Fort Leavenworth National Cemetery, and it's allegedly one of the most haunted cemeteries in the country. Um, one of the specters that is commonly seen is a mom who is searching for her two lost kids and is seen wandering the cemetery. This is based on a true story of a military wife who her two kids went out in the winter to like fetch something and then just never came back and she never stopped searching. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. So there's that. So if you want a spooky cemetery, maybe Fort Leavenworth is a place for you. All right. Well, I guess with that, let's get started with our episode for today. You want to lead us out? Sure. Just off the old Highway 40, about 100 miles west of Topeka, A narrow, rectangular-shaped diner lined with aluminum panels waits to serve the many weary travelers who pass by. Right in the heart of rural Kansas, the diner can host up to 50 hungry mouths, though they average about 10 guests at any time. The classic 50s-style diner is decorated in teal-blue leather booths, white laminate tables, and black-and-white checkered floors. The walls, a delicate blue, have photographs of previous guests with the owner, a man named Paul, and a few posters of Paul's favorite car model, the 1955 Ford Thunderbird. A long, laminate bar fills the background through bifold entrance doors. Behind it is the kitchen, where Paul is busy flipping patties and dipping potatoes in the fryer. The warming scent of fresh-cooked fries and apple pie is stomach-rumbling, just as the billboard signs advertise. Take exit 84 for the best burgers in the Midwest. Stomach rumbling scents. 
it doesn't take long before the billboards become believable. Sally, a bouncy blonde woman wearing an apron, greets guests at the door and motions for them to pick any booth that suits them. A dark wood jukebox amplifies classic hits like Wake Up Little Susie and Blue Suede Shoes. This, paired with the low chatter from other guests in the diner, makes the diner feel much more like home than a strange place in the middle of nowhere. Which is exactly what Paul intended the diner to be. While the diner isn't exactly well-known, anyone who passes through once always passes through again on the way home. Paul secured a loan for the diner just a few months after returning home from the war in 1945. It took a few years to perfect it, but with the help of Sally, business ran smoothly. The only restaurant within 100 miles, it definitely filled a need. With the help of a few local friends, Paul built the diner himself. It was a labor of love, but within a year, the diner opened its doors and fed its first customers. Among the first of its kind, the diner has always been sort of an anomaly. Consistently winning awards for its food and service, the billboard advertisements aren't meant to lure anyone under false pretenses. Though, as, like Milton Howard and his wife, by the time hungry travelers reach the diner, they're willing to eat just about anything. All the windows are down in the red 1955 Chevy Bel Air as Milton Howard cruises down an old country road. Milton is a veteran of World War II and still hasn't shaken the military tendency to keep himself perfectly in order. His short sleeve checkered button-up is ironed and tucked neatly into his trousers, his dark hair perfectly parted and slicked back. In the passenger seat is Milton's wife, Betty. She's wearing a yellow dress and her brown hair is tied up in a ponytail, her bangs whipping in the breeze. Betty's parents, Lillian and Raymond, are in the back seat of the car, enjoying the scenery of the countryside. Lillian and Ray are in their early 60s and had always approved of Betty's choice to marry her high school sweetheart, Milton, after he came back from his tour of duty. Raymond was a veteran himself of the First World War, which helped him and Milton really understand each other in a way that not everyone could. So it sounds like Milton has some pretty good in-laws. Huh, Megan? Yeah, I guess after going on a road trip with them. Yeah. I feel like I could go on a road trip with you and your parents. I think yeah. we'd get along pretty well. Where would we go on a road trip? Well, in my heart, it would be in Europe, right? A little European road trip with my parents. Yeah, that sounds about about right for us. Just a little hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> nudge nudge, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> i don't think they listen to the podcast but if they do <laughs> yeah you heard it here first you heard it here first yeah i'd go on a road trip with your mom yeah she's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah we would probably take a road trip to i don't know just about anywhere maybe canada and stop at every tj maxx on the way hey listen i i inherited that's a genetic trait loving tj maxx <laughs> That's a very strong, distinct genetic trait. It is. Both my sister and I do have this trait. (laughs) Any children that we have are absolutely doomed to love TJ Maxx. We should name a kid TJ and another kid Max. Okay. If we have twins, one's TJ and one's Max. Perfect. Anyways, the family in our story, the Howard family is heading east from California on a several-day cross-country road trip to visit some of Milton's close friends from the war who lived in Louisville, Kentucky. 
Raymond and Lillian were mostly just along for the ride, and because Ray also had some wartime buddies in that area that he wanted to visit, since they were going all the way out there anyway. Plus, now that Raymond was freshly retired, what better thing for them to do than spend time with their beloved daughter and son-in-law? The day was starting to get long, and Milton's stomach growled in protest of not having eaten for many hours. Oh dear, it is about that time, isn't it? Betty frets, noticing that her watch reads well past lunchtime. Dad, can you reach back and get the sandwiches out of the cooler for us? She asks sweetly. Raymond turns in his seat and looks for a few moments before breaking the bad news. No cooler back there, Bets. Lillian tuts and turns around, giving herself a chance to check, but she has to admit that Ray is correct. Uh-oh, your dad's right. I think we must have left it at the motel. Jeez, ain't that a bite, Milton sighs, slumping wearily in the driver's seat. I haven't seen a place to stop since Denver, have you? He asks, hopelessness coloring his voice. I don't think so, dear, Betty replies, her eyebrows upturned with concern. They continue to drive in silence until Raymond perks up from the back seat. Look, there, up ahead. I think it's a sign. Might be a diner coming up. Despite his age, Ray's eyes were just as sharp as they were in his youth, which at that time lent good use to him as a sniper in the military, and a sniper of squirrels in his backyard at home. Raymond's eyes were working as well as ever, and the sign on the side of the road quickly came into view. The advertisement looked pristine, the colors rich and inviting, enticing patrons to visit, quote, the best diner in all of Kansas. Burgers, fries, and shakes were apparently on the menu, and Milton's eyes widened gleefully as he read that this oasis was just 20 miles ahead, off of Exit 84. About every five miles, they breezed past another advertisement for the diner, which made Milton's stomach grumble even louder with promises of hot, fresh burgers and icy cold milkshakes. Hope you're all as hungry as I am, Milton announces as Exit 84 finally makes its blissful appearance. There's nothing else to be seen on the horizon besides the aluminum panel diner. With no other cars in the lot, Milton parks the Chevy as close to the front door as possible, a neon open sign welcoming them inside. All four travelers climb out of the car and make their way through the front doors. In typical fashion, Sally straightens her apron and stands by the entrance to greet the family, welcoming them enthusiastically to the diner. The group follows Milton to a booth nestled in the middle of the row, right in front of a window. A pair of older men are eating their meal a few booths away, and a young woman is at the counter drinking a cup of coffee, which Sally offers to the group as well. Isn't this place charming? Betty exclaims, and the group nods in agreement. Go up there and get some tunes going for us, Milton. Raymond points towards the jukebox. Milton slides back out of the booth just moments after sitting down and digs in his pocket for a nickel to put in the machine. The song list is full of hits from the last 10 years and he smiles as he makes his selection. The diamond's little darling booms from the speakers and Betty wiggles her shoulders in excitement and Milton meets her eyes from across the room and winks. They danced to the same song just a few months ago at their wedding. The record skips and halts for a moment before resuming as Milton sits back down. Are y'all ready to order? Sally asks, returning to their table. All four of them order a burger, and Ray gets a plate of fries for the table. I'll get that in right away. Sally scurries back to Paul in the kitchen, who slaps four raw patties onto the grill. 
Milton swears he can hear the sizzle of the grease. Betty and Lillian are chatting about the photographs on the wall, and Raymond is in his usual state of serene silence. Betty squeezes Milton's hand to make sure he's doing okay, which helps him jolt back awake. They were barely halfway through their drive to Kentucky, and he is feeling extremely worn out. Ray would offer to drive occasionally, but no one felt that that was a great idea, given Ray's poor driving record. So Milton has been driving all this time. He was glad for any break he could get, but especially from the three-day-old sandwiches they had been eating. Milton zones out while looking at the back corner of the diner, still partially listening to the conversation happening at his table, but not really. He hears someone ring a bell, likely to cook alerting Sally and order is done, then notices a light flicker in that back corner he's been staring at. He blinks hard, thinking his eyes were playing tricks on him because as the light briefly dimmed, he could have sworn he saw cobwebs and blood splatter on the wall. I really need to stop driving, he thinks to himself. Sally delivers their plates of food and everyone's mouths water at the sight. Hope y'all enjoy, she quips before walking back to the kitchen. Milton watches Sally as she walks away, observing how smoothly she moves, almost as though her feet hardly left the ground. But again, he blinks hard, trying to shake himself back to reality, thinking he must just be imagining things in his exhaustion. Mmm, this is so good, Betty gasped between bites of her burger. This is the best burger I've ever tasted, Lillian agrees. Even Raymond, who doesn't usually have much to say, agreed that this burger was enjoyable. Milton takes a bite and observes that the beef tastes porkier than he expected and thought it was a bit tough in texture, but I'm no food critic, he reviews to his family. He's mostly just happy to have some food finally. Conversation is light as they eat, mostly just continued remarks praising the food. Halfway through his burger, Milton suddenly begins to feel a bit ill. He excuses himself and hustles towards the men's room, where he promptly vomits the contents of his stomach. The sudden queasiness lessened, but as he caught a glimpse of the contents in the toilet bowl, he questions the quality of the burger as he gets flashbacks to some of the meals he had during the war, which result looked much the same as this. He rinses his mouth out with water from the sink and takes a few deep breaths to collect himself. Milton walks back to the table, about to say something about how he thinks his burger wasn't cooked properly and has made him sick, but sees that Betty and her parents are still enjoying their meals and decides not to ruin it for them. He sits back down and politely nudges his plate away from him a bit, having completely lost his appetite. Instead, he sips from his glass of water until that familiar soldier's instinct makes the hair on the back of his neck prickle. A sense of dread starts building in his stomach where hunger once was as he notices the jukebox skip a beat and the light flicker again. The young woman who was sitting at the counter is now slumped over. Her legs are missing, appearing to have been hacked off. Milton's pulse quickens as he shoots up out of his seat, glancing all around him, attempting to locate the threat. Sit back down, dear, and finish your burger, Betty directs him gently in the tone she uses when he needs help calming down. Milton looks down at her quickly, then snaps his gaze back to the young woman at the counter, who was perfectly fine, reading a newspaper and sipping coffee. Milton shakes his head. He could have sworn that he had just seen that same woman cut the pieces a moment ago. This place is making me jumpy, but I think we better get going. He whispers, intending only for her to hear him. 
Raymond pretends not to notice Milton's distress, but remarks, Nothing to get excited about, son. I've got you covered. And slides the bottle of ketchup towards Milton. Okay, thanks, Pops, Milton replies, but the feeling of dread remains. He nibbles on the end of a french fry, but maintains his vigilant watch over the diner. Everything is normal for a few more songs, until the music starts to slow, and then turn off completely, along with the lights. Sunlight from the windows manages to keep the interior from going completely dark, and Milton snatches a butter knife from the table. Hey, what's going on here? Milton shouts, up on his feet, ready to confront any threat. As his eyes adjust to the dimness, Milton notices immediately that something is wrong. The diner now appears run down and neglected. Cobwebs drape the ceiling, tabletops are chipped and soiled, and the floor is dirty and gray. The two old men in the corner booths are slumped forward on their table, both missing their arms. The young woman at the booth was just as Milton had seen her before, lifeless and missing her legs. Betty grabs Milton's arm and attempts to pull him back down to the booth, but he resists her pull. Honey, what are you doing? Sit back down, she prompts. Why is she asking him this at this moment? Milton doesn't understand. I said, what's going on here? He shouts again, his grip tightening around the knife. No need to get excited, son, Raymond says again reassuringly. How are you not seeing this? Milton exclaims, breaking free of his wife's hand on his forearm. Get back to the car, he shouts, pointing towards the door. It's okay, darling. Please calm down. Betty pleads. No, stop. Look around you, he rebukes now, attempting to pull her up out of the booth. All right, son, if you're so eager to get back on the road... Raymond stands up, and Lillian and Betty exchange knowing looks and follow him to the exit. Milton walks backward toward the door, not daring to turn his back to this horrifying scene, brandishing the knife out in front of himself. Just before pushing against the door to exit, Sally interjects and reminds him that they haven't paid yet. Ray chuckles, and Lillian responds, Oh, well, that's just silly of us. See, Milton, honey, you've got us all turned around. Raymond pulls his billfold out of his back pocket and carefully counts out the correct change. Milton grunts in frustration, then grabs Betty by the waist and pulls her towards the door. We're leaving now. Come with us if you want to, or stay. I don't care anymore, he says to Raymond and Lillian. He pushes against the door, but it doesn't budge. He shoves again and again against the door, but realizes that like the windows, the doors must also be boarded up. They're locked inside. Come on, Betts, you gotta help me break down this door, he says urgently to his wife, who appears increasingly concerned by her husband's erratic behavior. A voice from the kitchen sets Milton's nerves even more on edge. Now, now, let's all just go sit back down and finish our meals, all right? Paul, grinning and wielding a giant butcher knife, steps out from the kitchen and walks toward the group. With a snap of his fingers, the diner lights turn back on and the crew cuts continue singing Shaboom through the jukebox. Milton, Betty, Lillian, and Raymond are nowhere to be found. Now, I feel like we need to chat about Paul. Paul, the the cook and the diner owner, Paul? That's the one. Yes, we were inspired by a little bit of Kansas lore to create this character of Paul. Yeah, please enlighten us, Cass. Well, one really 
creepy and kind of gross sounding piece of folklore I found was the Hamburger Man of Hamburger Hill in Hutchinson, Kansas. So supposedly there's this hill, it's called Hamburger Hill, and if you're walking um, in that area and you stray too far off of the path, there is going to be a man, ghost, monster, it's a little unclear, but someone's going to snatch you off the trail, drag you into a shack in the woods, and grind you up into hamburger meat. Oh, so... So Paul is the hamburger man, right? I suppose so. Yeah. So these burgers that everyone in the diner was eating. <laughs> Soylent green is people. The hamburgers at the diner are people. Gross. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that this family seems to be the next uh, livestock <laughs> for Paul. I suppose. But the diner itself seems to have a lot of of spookiness happening yeah what inspired us to do the diner yeah when we were driving in in kansas on our way to lawrence there were many billboard advertisements for a diner but what was particularly concerning about some of these billboards is that they looked like they had giant just like chunks like bites just taken out of them which logically was probably due to weather, like a tornado or something, which is not comforting at all. But <laughs> um, we just kind of started thinking about these billboards and how, you know, it back in the day when we didn't have GPS services on our cell phones where we could just look up um, nearby restaurants or food options you rely solely on billboard information and that if we were in the middle of nowhere back in like the 50s or something, we probably would feel obligated to stop at this diner whose billboards had this giant bites taken out of them. Well, yeah, and they looked like they were probably also 70 years old, which was really interesting, so... Mm-hmm. It, it it inspired us. We took notes of, of unusual happenings on the road through Kansas, and that was definitely one of them. Yeah, but I guess our theory or, or thought process behind this diner and the episode is that probably the diner is closed, not in operation, and that everything that Milton, for example, is seeing is all some sort of spooky illusion caused by Paul and his wife, Sally, who run the diner. Or. Or. Or maybe that the diner is haunted, but people are still being made into fresh uh, patties, patties, if you will. <laughs> And, so and somehow this, Paul and his wife are still chopping people up, serving them up fresh on the bun. Well, you know, and it's people like me who will always avoid this issue. People like me who don't eat meat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I will never accidentally eat a people patty, but you might. I 
suppose I'm more likely, but I don't know. Some of those veggie patties look questionable sometimes. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, and you you tell us um, as you play out this episode, what are your theories or thoughts? Send us a message on our website or check us out on social media. You can find us everywhere at Table Lore Podcast. Send us a little DM. Let us know how your gameplay experience was. Tell us your thoughts, your theories. Engage with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want different, what you want better. How we could be better as humans. Well, no, don't give me any advice on how to be better as a human, but better as a podcaster. Oh, because you think you can't possibly be better as a human? Um, I mean, you're a really good human, but... Yeah, I'm pretty close to perfect, so... Yeah, I suppose so. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging with our podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) Let's uh, roll that D100 now. Okay. We're going to use our little mini dice today. You ready? I love the tiny foley. 80. 80? 80, South Carolina. The Palmetto State. I don't know what Palmetto is, do you? No, I guess we're going to find out next week. We'll tell you next week. As always, stick around for some gameplay suggestions. See you next week. Okay, storytellers, now it's your turn to create the rest of the story. Roll a d6 for inspiration on how to continue the story. If you roll a 1 or 2, before Milton became a victim at the diner, he was a soldier in World War II. You and your party play as Milton and his buddies on their tour of duty. What supernatural forces were at play against the allied powers that they experienced? How did they come out of it unscathed? If you roll a three or four, who and what are Paul and Sally? Are they serial killers, evil spirits, demons, or something even more sinister? You and your party come across the diner shrouded in illusion and uncover the gruesome nature of this place, but are you able to do anything about it? Can you escape the deadly diner? If you roll a five or six, the diner is closed but the surrounding area is tainted by the horrors that occurred there. Strange happenings begin to occur in you and your party's small town, and all signs point to that old, abandoned diner where unspeakable acts once played out. Play out what you discover and how the diner continues to haunt the people of rural Kansas.